0: Welcome to the science of success, introducing your host, Matt Bodner. Welcome to the science of success, the number one evidence based growth podcast on the internet, with more than 2 million downloads, listeners in over 100 countries, and part of the self help for smart people podcast network. In this episode, we discuss the shocking truth about the dangers of positive thinking. Is it always good to visualize your goals? Could there be potential downsides to daydreams and fantasies about the future? How can we identify what stands in the way of our goals and take concrete action to get there? We look at these questions and much more along with the proven evidence-based methodology for creating effective behavior change to actually achieve what you want with our guest, Dr. Gabrielle Altingen. Do you need more time? Time for work? Time for thinking and reading? Time for the people in your life? Time to accomplish your goals. This was the number one problem our listeners outlined. And we created a new video guide that you can get completely for free when you sign up and join our email list. It's called How You Can Create Time for the Things That Really Matter in Life. You can get it completely for free when you sign up and join the email list at successpodcast.com. You're also going to get exclusive content that's only available to our email subscribers. We recently pre released an episode and an interview to our email subscribers a week before it went live to our broader audience. And that had tremendous implications because there was a limited offer in there with only 50 available spots that got eaten up by the people who were on the email list first. With that same interview, we also offered an exclusive opportunity for people on our email list to engage one-on-one for over an hour with one of our guests in a live exclusive interview just for email subscribers. There's some amazing stuff that's available only to email subscribers that's only going on if you subscribe and sign up to the email list. You can do that by going to successpodcast.com and signing up right on the homepage. Or if you're driving around right now, if you're out and about and you're on the go, you don't have time, just text the word SMARTER to the number 44222. That's S-M-A-R-T-E-R to the number 44222. In our previous episode, we went deep on the science of performing under pressure. We looked at why some people perform under pressure and others don't. We discussed the skill of flexibility and fluid intelligence, explored the differences between stress and pressure, looked at the concrete strategies for managing both of those in your life, and much more with our previous guest, Dr. Hank Weisinger. If you want to learn how to perform when it matters most, listen to that episode. Now for our interview with Gabrielle. Today, we have another exciting guest on the show, Dr. Gabrielle Ottingen. Gabrielle is a professor of psychology at New York University and the University of Hamburg. She's the creator of the Whoop process and the author of the book, Rethinking Positive Thinking, Inside the New Science of Motivation. Her work has been featured in the Harvard Business Review, NPR's Hidden Brain, and much more. Gabrielle, welcome to the Science of Success.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, we're very excited to have you on the show today, and I'm really pumped to dig into the kind of the, the research and the conclusions that you've uncovered, which I think kind of go against a lot of this sort of traditional kind of conventional wisdom of much of kind of the self-help world.
1: Yeah. At the beginning, it was interesting because our findings were contraintuitive and actually went against our own expectations we thought positive thinking must be positive but then when we did our first studies we found that positive thinking actually can be detrimental when it comes to realizing these positive daydreams and fantasies which we have for the future so Positive thinking in terms of daydreams and fantasies and visions about the future can be very helpful when it comes to increasing our mood or exploring all the different possibilities we might have for the future. But when it comes to fulfilling our wishes and to reaching our fantasies, then they are detrimental. So, for example, we found the more positively women who were enrolled in a weight reduction program fantasized and daydreamed about their success in the program, the less well they did later on. Three months later, they lost fewer pounds. One year later, they lost fewer pounds. And even two years later. But also in other areas, in the academic area, in the professional area, in the interpersonal area, in the health area. So, for example, the more positively university graduates fantasized about a good transition into work life. The fewer dollars they earned two years later, the fewer job offers they had gotten, and what is interesting, the fewer Applications they had sent out. Or the more positively students fantasized about a good grade in the exam, the less well they did. Or in the interpersonal domain, the more positively students fantasized about getting together with a person they had a crush on, the less likely they were to actually get together with that person. Or with the elderly in the health domain, the more positively hip replacement surgery patients fantasized about an easy recovery, the less well could they move their joint two weeks later, the less well was their general recovery and the fewer steps they could actually walk. So it seems as pleasurable as these fantasies and daydreams are, they are a risk for not actually reaching our fantasies and daydreams. So then we thought, oh my, what shall we do? Shall we just dismiss these positive fantasies and daydreams? But we can't really, because these positive fantasies and daydreams, they come from our needs. So when you have a need, meaning you have a deficiency, for example, you don't have enough water, then you suddenly start fantasizing about getting to the water fountain, about drinking a nice, fresh glass of water. So we did experimental studies where we compared whether people with a need, let's say, for water would fantasize more positively about drinking water than people who would have a need in a different area. And that's exactly what we found. But you can also do it with, psychological needs. So for example, if you deprive people of meaning, they will fantasize about a meaningful job. Or if you deprive people of interpersonal relationships, they suddenly fantasize about meeting the friends. So we cannot dismiss these positive fantasies in daydreams because they give action the direction. But why do they then impede the realization of these fantasies. And we did some studies for that question too. We asked, why is it that these positive fantasies actually kind of stand against attaining them in the future? And we found that these positive fantasies make people feel already having attained the future. So they positively fantasize, they visualize the positive future in their mind, and that gives them the impression that they're already there. They're already in the goal box, if you want. And if you are already there, what do you do? You relax. So energy goes down. So we did studies, for example, where we induced positive fantasies about the future as compared to negative fantasies or questioning fantasies or factual thoughts or no thoughts at all. And we found that when you induce these positive fantasies, that people actually relax, they feel less energized. And you can also measure that by blood pressure. So systolic blood pressure goes down, meaning these positive fantasies give action the direction, but they sap our energy. So then the next question was, What can we do so that people who positively fantasize about the future get the energy of actually going the cumbersome way to reach these positive fantasies and daydreams? Now, what would be the answer to that question? The answer to that question might be that you say, complement these positive fantasies and daydreams with a healthy sense of reality. And that's actually then how we proceeded this research. We said, okay, what you need to do is, you can make people fantasize about the future and positively visualize all these desired events. But then you need to make them aware that they're not already there. And how can you do that? You just sort of ask them to find and imagine the obstacle in the way, the obstacle in themselves that stand in the way that they actually go the cumbersome way of realizing these positive daydreams and fantasies. So what you need to do is what we call mental contrasting. Mental contrasting of the positive future and the inner obstacle of reality standing in the way of attaining the positive future. And if you do that, so you think about what do I really want of the future? What is my dearest wish? What is it that I want? Not what other people want. Me to do necessarily what I want. What do I want for the future? And then you identify this wish. And you summarize it in a couple of words. And then you say, in order to really stir up these positive factors, you just say, what would be the best outcome? If I realized that wish, what would be the best thing? How would I feel? And then you identify the best outcome. And then you imagine that best outcome. And that's this, exactly these positive fantasies and daydreams which we were just talking about. But instead of stopping there and indulging in these positive fantasies, you now change gears. And you say, what is it in me that stands in the way that I realize this dear wish and that I experience the positive outcome, what stops me? What is it in me that impedes me? What is my main inner obstacle? And that's neat because now you understand what is it in your way? And it might be an emotion, anxiety. It might be an irrational belief. You know, somebody said at some point something about you which you took to heart. It might be a bad habit just these kind of automatic things you do. But by identifying what it is in you that stands in the way, you will find that inner obstacle. And when you do then, imagine it. You imagine that inner obstacle occurring. You will understand what you can do to overcome that obstacle. And you will also understand that you need energy to overcome that obstacle. And you will understand whether it's worthwhile to overcome that obstacle. So by identifying that inner obstacle, you will understand whether you actually want to overcome it and whether you actually can overcome it. And if it's not too costly and you can overcome it, you will now fully commit to realizing your wish And experiencing that outcome. So now you have a goal. You don't have a kind of uncommitted wish anymore. Now you have a goal. You say, okay, yes, that's what I want to go for. That's what I really want. But if the obstacle is too costly, or simply not surmountable, then you will say, "Hmm, maybe I should adjust the wish a little bit. Not seven times in the week, Exercise, for example, but maybe only four times. Or you say, well, at the moment, it's not a good time because I'm in the end of my exams. But as soon as the exams are over, then it would be a better point in time. Or you will say, you know, this is just too costly, or it's simply not surmountable. And then you can let go and say, okay, I invest my energy in more promising endeavors and not in trying to reach a wish that is not attainable after all. So what mental contrasting does, it helps you prioritize your wishes and commit to those and pursue those that are dear to your heart and are feasible. And decommit or not pursue those goals, or those wishes that are either too costly, not opportune in your life right now, or are simply not reachable. So mental contrasting helps you to clean up your life to say, yes, this is what I really want. Yes, let's go for it. And this is what I better let go And that's the reason why it is so neat, because you get clarity about what you want and what you can do and where you want to put your energy and your resources in.
0: So there's a couple of places I want to dig in and... There's so many different things that you've brought up that I want to explore further. Kind of coming back to the original premise, which I find really fascinating. You basically set out to discover the benefits of positive thinking and yet sort of counter to your own expectations or predictions about what your research would show. Your work kind of started to peel back the layers and reveal that in many instances, the science shows that our daydreams and our fantasies can actually negatively impact our progress towards our goals.
1: Yes, exactly. And that's so counterintuitive, not only because prior research has not focused on that, but it's also counter our culture that we can think, oh, positive visions, positive kind of fantasies, daydreams, they're always good. Not necessarily. It depends on for what? Yes, for mood, for exploratory reasons. They're good. You feel good. They're pleasurable. At the same time, they bear the danger that you will never get it.
0: So how did we kind of come up with this or kind of land with this cultural myth that, you know, we should think positive, that we should be optimistic, that all of the kind of traditional or typical kind of jargon that you'll see in in many self-help books and, and a lot of personal development literature, how did we end up with that and how do we kind of move beyond it?
1: Well, I wish I could have an empirical answer to that. I certainly don't, because I don't know how these myths developed over time in history in our culture. But it's very subjective to think that just by positively fantasizing about the future, you would already reach the positive future. It's so subjective to think You know, you could reach the positive future without actually going the cumbersome way to reaching it. But most of our wishes are more complex and they are more difficult to reach than just stretching out the hand and doing it. Now, you could say, well, you don't need mental contrasting if the wish is super easy or if you can just do it automatically. Then you don't need it. But as soon as a wish is a little bit more difficult, needs a little bit more effort, needs a little bit more complex thinking to be reached, then sheer positive visualizing will just not bring this future to you.
0: So tell me a little bit more about kind of the mechanism by which these, this sort of positive visualization or daydreaming positive thinking starts to kind of sap our energy or prevent us or slow us down from sort of achieving our goals and dreams?
1: Well, what we find is that people who are positively fantasizing versus those who are induced to negatively fantasize or produce questioning fantasies or produce factual thoughts and, you know, just experimentally induced that these positive fantasies which are induced that they lead people to relax and this is actually measurable by feelings and by systolic blood pressure and we find that people feel already there they mentally feel themselves already in place And that's what we then kind of disturb by doing mental contrasting. We interrupt that, oh, I'm already there, by putting in the obstacle of reality and say, hmm, what is standing in the way that you are already in the goal box if you want? What is that in your way? And by making people aware what it is that stands in the way, we can actually interrupt that complacency that people have when they just kind of go on the little visualization journey into the future. So the idea that you have an obstacle in the way then will stir up the energy to overcome that obstacle. So the resistance which we put in by making people aware that there is an obstacle in them will produce this energy to overcome that obstacle. And it will produce, when you think about the obstacle, it will produce strategies that are opportune to overcome that obstacle. And it doesn't matter whether this obstacle is kind of emotional or whether it is an irrational belief, or whether it is a bad habit or so, it produces anyway these strategies to overcome that obstacle. And in mental contrasting, the non-conscious processes that actually produce the behavior change, produce the prioritization, and then the active and successful pursuit of the goal, and the let go of the wish, these mechanisms, they are non-conscious. And that is really neat because mental contrasting is a conscious strategy. Okay, you define the wish, you define the best outcome, you imagine the best outcome, you define the inner obstacle, you imagine the inner obstacle, and what then happens is if you have a surmountable wish, then non-consciously, meaning outside of your awareness, the future will be connected to the obstacle of reality. And the obstacle of reality will be connected to the behavior to overcome the obstacle. So these associative links are triggered by the conscious technique of mental contrasting, and these associative links are completely outside of people's awareness. And they then predict the behavior change. So they are the mediators of behavior change. And what happens then also is that people automatically, without that they know, will understand that the reality is an obstacle. So the party on Sunday night or on Saturday night is now an obstacle to doing well on the exam on Tuesday. It's not a fun party anymore. We interpret it in non-conscious terms as an obstacle rather than a fun party. And the idea really is that these conscious exercise triggers these non-conscious processes, and these non-conscious processes then do the job for you. And what then happens too is that the energy goes up and we can measure that again by systolic blood pressure. So when you do mental contrasting of a feasible wish, then the systolic blood pressure goes up and it predicts then increased effort and the increased success. And what happens then as a third component is that when you get setbacks or when somebody criticizes you, you have negative feedback, that you process that negative feedback really well. So you get all the information out of this negative feedback. So you don't take it personally, meaning you are not defensive. You're not defensive. You take the negative feedback, you take the setbacks as helpful, useful information to reach your wish. So these three processes, one cognitive associative link between future and the obstacle and between the obstacle and the behavior to overcome obstacle. The reinterpretation of the reality as, oh, this is an obstacle. The second kind of component of mechanisms is the energization. So that's motivational. First cognitive, second motivational more energy, now I have the energy ready to help me reach my wish. And then the third component, or the third mechanism, is that I can effectively process the feedback, the the kind of setbacks, and I will process them without that my self-concept or my my self-esteem is hurt. And all these three processes will then predict the behavior change. So it is as if you automatize your behavior. So you do the conscious exercise that leads you to automatically behave in a way that you do what needs to be done to reach your wishes or also to let go from your wishes. So you can actually rely on these processes which you are not even aware of. And that's neat because if you apply it, you do this strategy of mental contrasting, then you don't even realize that you behave in a way that you programmed yourself beforehand. So you kind of automatize yourself. And what you can then do as well is you can complement this mental contrasting with if-then plans. This is a strategy which has been discovered by Peter Gollwitzer. implementation intentions, in the scientific literature or if-then plans. So what you do then is you take your obstacle after you have imagined that, and then you ask yourself, what can I do to overcome that obstacle? And you think about an effective action or an effective thought. And you formulate that and you put it in front of your eyes. And then you make an if-then plan. You say, if, and then you imagine the obstacle, then I will. And then you imagine the behavior to overcome obstacle. And the combination of mental contrasting and implementation intentions is what we call Woop, which is a four-step strategy, which contains find a wish that is dear to your heart. Your wish, what is really important to you. Find the best outcome. How would you feel? What would the best outcome? Imagine the best outcome. Find the inner obstacle that is standing in the way and imagine that inner obstacle. Then find the behavior to overcome the obstacle and make an if-then plan. If obstacle, then I will behavior to overcome obstacle. And that's WHOOP. And you can apply WHOOP Wherever you are, you just need about five to ten minutes of quiet. Actually, you can also do whoop in a New York subway, where it's really loud. That doesn't matter, but it needs to be kind of background noise. You can't do anything else, because we know from our research, it takes mental effort. So, from our neuropsychology research, we know it draws on the processes that are typical for mental effort. So you can't do emails or you can't talk to anybody apart from doing WHOOP. WHOOP means you take five or 10 minutes and they're just for you, and everything else can wait. And you need to be slow. Because WHOOP is an imagery technique, you need to be slow, otherwise you can't produce the imagery. And you need to be uninterrupted. So again, you can do it in the New York subway, but you need to be uninterrupted, you need to be slow, and just for yourself. Everything else can wait. And then you go through these four steps. And by going through wish, outcome, imagine, obstacle, imagine, and the plan, if obstacle, then I will behave you to overcome obstacle, you trigger these automatic processes. And they do the behavior change without that you are even aware. So I whoop every day, for example, in the morning. I whoop my wishes for the day. And you can whoop, you know, life-changing wishes, but you can also whoop, you know, every day more trivial wishes. And then I go through the day, I whoop maybe one or two or three, of these wishes in different areas of my life. And then I go through the day, and then the evening I think, what did I do today? And very often I think, oh, I'm surprised how well this meeting went, or I really had a good interaction with my colleague, or I really finished this paper or something. And then I remember, oh, this is what I whooped this morning. So you actually act automatically, without that you realize that you do what is in the service of your wish
0: fulfillment. Figure Lending, LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Hiring the right person takes time. Time that you often don't have. But you shouldn't let a time crunch get in the way of finding the right candidates for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. In fact, I was on LinkedIn Jobs this morning looking for candidates to fill a key role in one of my businesses. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with hard and soft skills you're looking for so that you can hire the right person quickly. You can look for things like collaboration, creativity, and adaptability, looking beyond just work skills and resumes to connect you with the candidates who are a perfect match for your business. That's how LinkedIn makes sure that your job post gets in front of the people you actually want to hire because they have a much better ability to get a deep insight into exactly who is the right candidate for you and your business. Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash success. Again, that's linkedin.com slash success to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. I want to come back to the kind of core components of the WHOOP framework before we get into, you know, kind of some examples of maybe how to use it. The two kind of component pieces, I think, are really important, and I'd like to dig into each of them. Kind of coming back to this idea of mental contrasting, you know, I think it's a a really powerful point that you're making, that this idea of using sort of the tool of mental contrasting, which is a conscious exercise that we sort of spend time and focus on, we can actually start to kind of, as you said, build the associative links to the subconscious that are ultimately going to kind of lay the foundation and the groundwork for sort of automatic behavior changes down the road. Is that correct?
1: Yes, that's correct. That's exactly it. And that's why it is so different from other behavior change strategies, which focus more on increasing the attractiveness of behavior change or increasing the self-efficacy that I can do it or... Which focus on framing, you know, the learning goals versus the performance goals, and Carol Dweck's work, for example or which focus on sort of comparison processes you know in the alcohol literature sometimes people use social comparison that they say you yeah, know other people drink less than you and then people kind of for for a certain time get a little scared and they drink also less until they get together with their buddies again but these other behavior change strategies there might be effective too. But boop is really different because boop draws on the automatic processes. And because it draws on the automatic processes, it has a chance against the automatic processes which are already in place. Meaning you build new good habits by replacing the bad old habits. And habits, yeah, they're automatic. But you can only change these automatic processes, these bad habits, by having processes that are kind of strong and non-conscious as well, because these habits are non-conscious processes, and you need to have other kind of non-conscious processes which go against them, and that's the reason why this is so neat, especially when it comes to more complicated behavior change problems, such as you know, you have some substance abuse or kind of bad habits, like whatever the bad habits, interpersonal habits, or kind of personal habits, or also work habits like procrastination or. You know, interpersonal habits that you get really angry or strong impulses that you want to eat the chocolate cake. So it is neat because you instill automatic processes that have a chance then against the automatic processes which are already in place in your life. So I don't want to say anything against the other behavior change strategies there, you know, that have been proven effective too. But whoop is different because it draws on automatic processes, because it's a skill you can learn like riding the bicycle or swimming or riding or whatever. It's a skill which you can learn and the more you practice whoop, the better you get, the more expert you get. And you can whoop any wish you have in the academic domain, in the professional domain, in the interpersonal domain, in the health and fitness domain. Any wish qualifies, long term, short term. Trivial, non-trivial, whatever. The only thing you need to do is you need to have these five or ten minutes, and then you need to say, what is the wish that I really would like to fulfill for myself that is a little challenging but feasible? And if you do that, if you identify this wish, and actually WHOOP is a very good way of understanding what you really want, because... It asks you for a wish. And it asks you not for any kind of wish, what do you want? No, it asks you, what do you want? Because when you actually answer this question, then you understand what your needs are. These wishes come from our needs. So you actually have a chance to really sort of give in to your needs. And then by understanding the outcome, the best outcome, you can really imagine the wish fulfillment. And that's important because you need this passion. You need this passion for the future. Whoop only works for wishes which are dear to your heart. So you need to identify a wish that is dear to your heart, the outcome, imagine the outcome. So that's the first step. That's really sort of, you anchor your wish in the sky. You anchor it in the future and then You ask yourself, in me, what is in the way? Why do we kind of instruct people to ask, in me? Because if you have the external obstacles, you can't change them. So you can't change your boss, you can't change your company, you can't change your context. You can't change all these things. You can't change the weather when it comes to fitness. But you can change how you react to your boss, your company, the weather, whatever. And by understanding what is it in me that stands in the way, then I can also overcome the obstacle. So the wish needs to be challenging, but feasible, best outcome, imagine. And then the Inner obstacle, and very often it's an emotion, an anxiety, anger, resentment, whatever. But it's your emotion, and you need to identify it. Nobody else can. And it's a discovery tour. Whoop is a discovery tour, because you will discover, what do I really want? What is be the best thing? What is it that I kind of desire? And then, why don't I do it? What does it make? why don't i do it why don't i go for it and by identifying that obstacle you might not only identify an obstacle to that wish you might also identify the obstacle to other wishes so you can dig a little deeper dig a little deeper into your wish what is it really that stands in the way and that will be very interesting i mean with a little humor you will discover you don't need to tell anybody but Find out what is it in you that stands in the way. And then you can react to it by saying, okay, how can I overcome that? And do an
0: if-then plan. So tell me about, I want to come back and sort of understand how the phenomenon of mental contrasting, and then after that I want to dig into implementation intentions, but how does mental contrasting specifically sort of harnessed by the WHOOP framework and the WHOOP process?
1: Well, mental contrasting is... We just renamed it. In the scientific literature, it's called mental contrasting with implementation intentions. And the mental contrasting part is the wish part, and the outcome part, and the imagery. Mental contrasting is, is an imagery technique. And then the obstacle. The obstacle, in a way, and the imagery of the obstacle. That's mental contrasting.
0: So, just to clarify, it's basically kind of the combination of visualizing your sort of goals and dreams and desires, and then sort of doing a little bit of visualization, thinking around, okay, what are the actual obstacles to that, contrasting those two things, and then trying to sort of reconcile them back to, you know, the actions and steps you're going to take as a result of sort of thinking about your goals, thinking about the obstacles with sort of equal weight and importance, and then ultimately determining how you're going to kind of bring those two things together. Is that correct?
1: It's correct, but it's not quite correct. First of all, you never say, I'm just thinking about my goals. Because there's so many exercises which say, yeah, we list your goals. Or what is your goal? Sure, I want to go to college. Or I want to have a promotion. Yeah, sure, I want that. But mental contrasting is so different. It asks you for a wish. It asks you what you really want for your life for the next four weeks, for today. What do you really want? And by understanding what you really want, you will understand much better where your needs are. And you don't need even to think about the needs because the wishes are an expression of the needs. But think about what is dear to your heart? What actually do I want in life? What do I want today? What do I want to get out of this meeting? What do I want tonight when I, you know, mental contrasting with is a whoop is for times when I'm stuck. What do I want? I want to get out here or, you know, for times when I'm really doing fine, but I could do better. What do I want for tonight? I want to have a good evening tonight with my friend. Or what do I want for the next phone call with my mother? So whatever It is. It needs to be dear to your heart. And we are not used anymore to think about, what do I really want? And take yourself into slow motion before you do whoop. And it's not that you need to have slow motion for long meditation sessions or, you know, eight weeks mindfulness or something. No, 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 no. It's just that you need to slow yourself down for the next five or ten minutes and then say, what do I want for today? Let's say, in the academic domain, or in the professional domain, or you know, in the fitness domain. What do I want for today? And then you go slowly to one best outcome. Not for the best millions of outcomes. No, for one best outcome. And again, for one best obstacle. Not many obstacles, just one, the central obstacle, the most important, and that's important because otherwise these automatic processes can't be triggered, and again, then one best behavior to overcome obstacle, so it is a little contraintuitive for what we are used to do. Where we, you know, say we have goal setting strategies or we have other strategies where we want to list all the goals and, and see where we are. And So in, in that respect, it's really different. It's an imagery technique and therefore you need to be slow. And therefore you need to be quiet. And therefore you need to have these five or ten minutes for yourself.
0: And. Tell me about the kind of concept of these implementation intentions. What is an implementation intention and how do we, using kind of the WHOOP methodology, how do we sort of integrate that into our sort of planning or goal setting or or visualization techniques?
1: Now, implementation intention has been a concept discovered by Peter Goldrich, which had been around for a while. And there is some huge literature on the effectiveness of implementation intentions. And they come in the form of if situation X arises, then I will do the goal-directed behavior Y. Now, by doing that, you connect the situation with the goal-directed behavior. Now, we talked about mental contrasting where we said, one effect of mental contrasting is that outside of people's awareness, the obstacle is linked to the behavior to overcome obstacle. So what we thought is, what if the obstacle is really hard to overcome and then we thought, okay let's add the plan let's add an implementation intentions to make this link between the obstacle and the behavior to overcome obstacle even stronger and that's what we did and in the context of mental contrasting. The implementation intention takes the form of if situation, this time it's an obstacle, then I will behavior to overcome obstacle, which is the goal-directed behavior. So we integrated the implementation intention into the framework of the mental contrasting. Now what is neat that so far the research on implementation intention has focused on contents which were given by the researchers or by the educators but it was prefabricated now the problem really with this research then is that you know you need to put in the content from outside it's kind of if you want it's it's kind of in quotation marks it's paternalized but how can people make these implementation intentions just by themselves how can they produce them by themselves And by doing mental contrasting, because mental contrasting can refer to any content, to any wish, outcome, and obstacle. By finding the obstacle, we guaranteed that the situation part, the if part in the implementation intention is relevant and it's recognizable. So now you can have an implementation intention, which is cut to the Kind of personal needs. And then the same for the behavior to overcome the obstacle. That has been prefabricated in past research, but now the person herself or himself has come up with that behavior to overcome the obstacle or to react to the situation, meaning now we emancipate people, they can have their own implementation intentions. They don't need the researcher or the educator or anybody to tell them what to put in the if part and what to put in the then part. So we made, by inventing Woop or by combining mental contrasting with implementation intentions, we made it possible that implementation intentions are kind of individualized for each person so that each person can now come up with their own wish, outcome, obstacle and their own, if then, plan. So we emancipate people. So because people are the best experts of their lives, it is a tool that you can apply now to any wish you have. You can make as many whoops as you have wishes. And that's really nice because now you don't need a coach anymore or you don't need a trainer or a therapist anymore. I mean. For daily life, it's different in, in clinical cases. But you can emancipate yourself by using WOOP, and WOOP, therefore, can be considered a companion to your daily life and a companion that helps you to get insight into your wishes, to prioritize your wishes, and then also to attain your wishes.
0: Tell me about the kind of striking the balance between having our wishes be sort of challenging enough, but also feasible enough?
1: Yeah, I mean, our research has shown that when the wishes are feasible, high expectations, then people really go for it, commit to them, entertain them. If they're not feasible, not at all, then people will say, oh, this is too much energy for wish fulfillment, and they will decommit and will let go. So that's, Prioritization. That's why we say in the BOOP exercise take a wish that is feasible, take a wish that you can actually attain. Because then you can use BOOP in order to actually fulfill your wishes. But you can use BOOP also to actually find out whether you want to even go and realize your wishes by not saying. I will come up with a wish that is feasible. Let's say you have a wish, which is very important to you. You not even have to think about kind of carefully to identify it, but it's a wish you really want. But you want to know whether it is worthwhile pursuing it or not. Then you do WHOOP in order to help you prioritize, to help you understand whether the obstacle is surmountable or not. So you can use WHOOP really for very different purposes. One is to find a wish that is feasible and then really to attain it, or to find a wish that is very dear to your heart and you want to find out whether you want to actually go for it or whether you want to actually let go and put your energy into something which is more feasible. And the challenging part where you say, you know, find a wish that is a little challenging. If a wish is super easy to reach, you don't need... Whoop. You just go and do it. So you don't need the exercise. And therefore, you better do whoop for wishes that are a little bit difficult, but in principle feasible, that will help you most in fulfilling your wishes.
0: So, for listeners who want to kind of concretely implement some of the things we've talked about today, you know, maybe do sort of a whoop for themselves, what would be kind of one piece of homework that you would give them to start kind of implementing this methodology?
1: Right. That's a good question. Actually in the past years, we have been designing materials which will help people to actually use whoop for themselves and to apply it into their daily life as a kind of routine practice. And we put these materials on the whoopmylife.org website, which is actually translated into many languages, and which contains detailed instructions in written form, in audio form, in video form. It also contains references to the Whoop app, which has the bare bone instructions, and which you can download on your Android or the iPhone, and which guides you through the Whoop exercise without that you actually need to think about. Now, what is the first step? What is the second step? What is the third step? So it is a help to use Whoop on a daily basis. And then you also find some references to rethinking positive thinking, where we describe the research backgrounds and some of the studies in great detail, and also some examples. So that will be a very good start to look at the Whoop materials, the videos, the audios, the app, and the book. And on the website, there are also references to the research if you're interested. And then certainly... On the Whoop My Life website, you can always write to us. And if you have questions, please feel free to write to us. We get a lot of correspondence and also kind of, you know, people inform us where they applied Whoop and... And you find them applying it in so many different life areas. It's really kind of moving to see. And if you have experiences, you can always write them to us. And then if you don't mind, we put them on the website. So that would be great. And if you want to have more personal training, just let us know.
0: And again, you told listeners where to go. But for listeners who want to find you, learn more, et cetera, One more time, what is the website for them to be able to find you online?
1: Okay, it's Whoop, W. O-O-P, my life, in one word, dot org.
0: Awesome. Well, Gabrielle, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing all this wisdom and knowledge and and the surprising science from all the research that you've done. It's been a really fascinating conversation. We've enjoyed having you on here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Science of Success. We created the show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every single listener email. I'm going to give you three reasons why you should sign up for our email list today by going to successpodcast.com, signing up right on the homepage. There's some incredible stuff that's only available to those on the email list, so be sure to sign up, including... Our most popular guide, which is called How to Organize and Remember Everything, you can get it completely for free along with another surprise bonus guide by signing up and joining the email list today. Again, you can do that at successpodcast.com, sign up right at the homepage, or if you're on the go, just text the word SMARTER, S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes because that helps boost the algorithm that helps us move up the iTunes rankings and helps more people discover the science of success. Don't forget, if you want to get all the incredible information we talk about in the show, links, transcripts, everything we discuss, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can get those at successpodcast.com. Just hit the show notes button right at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success.